Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. You're listening to the Hazard Ground Podcast. With service members from across the military, sharing their stories of combat and survival. And now, here's your host, Mark Zeno. Welcome into the Hazard Ground Podcast. As always, we appreciate you joining us each and every week. Before we get started with this week's show, a couple of notes to get to. Uh, one, we're really excited about this summer lineup that we have coming up. We've got some amazing guests coming up that really have done just some incredible things throughout their time in service. And we want to thank you guys for continuing to provide us with suggestions. And with that said, send us an email, producer at hazardground.com. Give us suggestions of people that you know, with stories that you've heard of that you'd like to see featured in depth, in detail here on the Hazard Ground podcast. Guys, we're paying so much attention to what you're telling us and what you're doing to try to make this show better and craft into what you guys want. So keep that feedback coming. Speaking of feedback, go to iTunes, leave us a rating and a review. That's the best feedback we can get. Helps grow the show, helps us get more listeners. Speaking of which, we are also on radio.com now as another platform for this podcast. So you can find us in a whole bunch of different places as we continue to grow and continue to get a bigger audience. Uh, we're getting more platforms, so that's great for us as well. Finally, our sponsorship with Amazon. Go to our website, hazardground.com. New website coming, guys. Stay tuned. I promise you. I know I've been telling you this for a while, but it really is coming soon. But go to the website, hazardground.com. Click on that Amazon banner right in the middle of the homepage. Do all your normal Amazon shopping. We'll get a percentage of what you guys spend. We donate it right back to the charities that you've heard right here on the Hazard Ground, like the Headstrong Project, which has gained a lot of national news lately in a good way. Uh, they are at the forefront of helping veterans. So... Lots of great things going on here with the show and in the veterans community. We'll keep you updated on it all. And with that, let's get started with this week's episode. Joining us this week is a very special guest. And while he's not an actual member of the U.S. military, he fought alongside the U.S. military in several engagements throughout the war in Iraq. His job was an interpreter or a TERP working alongside American forces, including U.S. Navy SEALs, one of the most notable Navy SEALs, Chris Kyle. There is a book that details his memoirs and his time in service, and he has eventually made his way to America. The name of the book, codenamed Johnny Walker, and he is our guest this week on the Hazard Ground Podcast, Johnny Walker. Johnny, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, and it's a big honor to be with you in your show, and to put my name uh, between the warrior. So thank you so much. No, absolutely. And, and for those who aren't familiar, civilians who may be listening, Johnny Walker, obviously not your real name. It was a name you were given, a nickname. We'll get to that story in a moment. But just for security purposes, for civilians who don't understand, a lot of interpreters had to have a code name or a nickname, whatever it was, to conceal their identity, because if they were found out to be working with American forces, their lives would certainly be in danger. Um, to this point, for, and for those listening as well, you actually are an American citizen now, correct? Correct. Okay. Uh, do you go by your actual name, or Johnny Walker is your legal American name at this point? So so my wife, she asked me to change my real name to Johnny Walker because we've been using that name since 2009, and I'm still between my real name and Johnny Walker. I love this new name because this name give me uh, family, give me brotherhood, give me love, give me respect of American people, and then my my old name Riyadh has give me all my memories about Iraq, most of my friendship and my family. So I'm gonna let my wife decide which name she like and i will go with that <laughs> sounds good and always listen to the wife an american custom johnny as you probably have figured out um let's go back to the beginning for you because you grew up in northern iraq in mosul um and that's where you eventually ended up connecting with american forces but i want to give some of our listeners some perspective because obviously not any of us know you know prior to 2003 we knew iraq is a dictatorship a land that you know was far away from the united states what was it like living and growing up in there under Saddam Hussein for the better part of your life? So, uh, I am like 604, my tall, and I, as, as you can tell, I'm tall guy in the United States, so imagine in my city, Mosul, I'm giant. Right. <laughs> and kind of trouble kid, like make a lot of trouble in the neighborhood, and my family, they want to find something to release my 
energy. So they figure out to send me with my cousin to play basketball, and I went to the basketball field with my slingshot. And we end up with kind of beat a few guys. Next day, I went back again, play basketball, and I sub love this this game. And as you know, basketball is like kind of chain. If you play basketball, the best team in the world is Harlem team. In my imagination at that time, in my dream. So I had to watch Harlem team, and Harlem team take you to another step. You had to listen to country music, country music, and Kenny Roger, and you have to watch a cowboy movie, John Wayne. <laughs> so all this kind of small pieces build the American dream. And I apologize, I have to tell you that so you know where I'm going. With no, my like, I mean, it's, dream. it's funny because you, you say the Harlem Globetrotters and, and Westerns and John Wayne and all. I mean, that's, you know, that's Americana for a lot of people. But trust me, like, I'm a 12 years old at that time, and I have that small American dream. I will have my blonde wife and have a small house facing the lake on the mountain. Right. So anyway, 1980, war between Iraq and Iran. Mm -hmm. A thousand people killed, innocent people killed from both sides. From Ayatollah side, which is the guy who have permission to speak with God, and from Iraqi side, the greatest leader, and everyone he have to worship him. So we 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 fell down between those two maniac leaders. I apologize about my word, but this is the reality. And right. a bunch of people killed, uh, economy destroyed, just because of those sickness leaders run those people. Anyway, and I remember they bring dead Iraqi soldiers in, in our neighbor. And, you know, we are kind of curious. We went there just to look at, to see what's going on. And we saw two Iraqi military police give the dead body to the family. And, you know, the mom, she came and she started crying, <coughs> screaming, this and that. She lost her child. She lost her baby. And I will never forget that. The Iraqi military police asked her, hey, we need the price of the bullet because your son ran away from the from the front line and we kill him. Wow. So so imagine. I'm not gonna go with more details. If you compare this small piece with everything, you will see what kind of no life we have. All right. So um, did you at any point in time growing up think like, I, I, I have to get out of Iraq, I have to go somewhere else? Or <coughs> what did you think it was impossible to do? So in that time, like I told you, playing basketball and all American dream in my mind. And 1986, I met my wife by an accident. I passed her house and I saw her green eyes, beautiful, this and that. I feel in love with her, and this is kind of make me uh, turn myself in survive mode and push it to the future. And I kept my American dream, like one day I will do whatever it takes me to go to the United States. But as you know, by yourself, you can't do it. But right now, you have your love with you, so you have to think it wise with every step you have to do it. Right. In 1990, when <coughs> Saddam decided to have another crazy adventure and take Kuwait down, I look at the, to the situation as like, this country goes nowhere. We're going down. This is not right. You know what I mean? But in the same time, I have like four, three kids, and I have to support them. My brother uh, get captured by Fidai Saddam because... He refused to work for them for free. And I end up to support my mom, my wife, and my kids, and my brother's family. And at that time, I work in a uh, truck driver, 18-wheeler, mm -hmm. travel from Mosul to Basra, 900 clicks, uh, to make 20, between 20 to 40 bucks. And That's unreal. We, 
Uh, and yeah, let me just I mean, give you some perspective, Johnny. Sorry to cut you off, but for the people yeah, listening from no, Mosul no, in the north to Basra, which is all the way uh, on the Iraq-Kuwait border in the south, that's um, it, almost a thousand miles. Like that, that, that literally is driving from like you know New York to to Denver. I mean, you know, it, it, it's it's an incredible haul. It's it's crazy, but like I told you, there is a lot of responsibility in your shoulder, and you have to do it. You have no option. So with all the struggling things and all the bullshit from our political leader, Saddam and his family, uh, we saw him treat us like we are stupid, you know, not even a human being. And sanction and Iraqi people affect each one of us, except the uh, Iraqi leader and their families. I told my wife, I told her, does God give me patience to survive? Another that I will be killing people. It's not right because we lost the hope. We lost the faith. We lost tomorrow. We don't have something <coughs> for tomorrow. Like me and my wife and my family, we never planned to have a trip. Never, ever. Right. Until 2003, and this is funny things. United States invade my country. And they came my, to my city. And at the same time, I look at those guys, they are not invade my country. Those guys, they are my dream. And this is where second journey of my life started. <laughs> All right, so the invasion comes. Um, and obviously, in the beginning, you know, there's a lot of destruction. Did any of that bother you? I mean, were you able to understand what the United States was doing at the time? Or you're just you're watching more chaos around you and it all kind of meshes together? So one of the things from the beginning I saw, first of all, the United States released us as Iraqi people from from the darkness. You know what I mean? Right. They give us the light on the end of the tunnel. So everyone run to that light, include myself. For myself, include the light and my American dream. And everyone happy, like I remember in Mosul, American soldier, they walk between us. No one uh, uh, have any harm for them. Everyone welcome them. Kids run behind them. I just want to talk with them. But the thing is, not came from United States, came from our own people. When I saw our own people, they stealing uh, shit from government building. I saw the Kurdish. They came to my city, Mosul, and they took every military tools and mobility. It was like, there is something missing. Supposedly, we release from the darkness age, and right now we can have freedom and democracy. Everyone can live peaceful, and include the Kurdish. Why the Kurdish? They're stealing the military uh, equipment. So this is kind of, give me a red flag. But like I told you, kind of, in the middle of this chaos built by our own people, not built by United States, because United States did not ask us to steal our stuff. We steal our stuff. We steal our government. Saddam Hussein, he's gone, but the government things is belong to the Iraqi people. You know what I mean? Right. So anyway, start to find job with, with American forces. Unfortunately, I couldn't find uh, after a few times trying so hard. And finally, I get the chance to work with military police. Quick question. Yes. When Saddam was captured, what was your feeling? What were you thinking? So just let you know, I have nothing given give to me from the government, land or business or anything. Right. So for me, when they captured them, it's a normal result for what he did. Same thing with Ayatollah now. You know, mm -hmm. with with the, all the threatening news and Allah, infidels, all this kind of things. It's going to be a normal result from Iranian people, Sunni United States, to try a few strategic uh, points. The Iranian people, they can kick them. So same thing with me. When they captured them, 
I didn't surprise because this is the right end to everyone build his power on the blood. So I, I, I expect that. So you had no problem with them executing him? So this is a different story. Okay. He gets captured by American forces, right? Mm-hmm. But see the other side. We talk about Kurdish. We cover Kurdish, right? Mm-hmm. And I cover some of my own people stealing from the government building, right? Now we came to the third part, which is the Iraqi government. The Iraqi government, who's executed Saddam, they have no loyal to Iraq. Right. All of them, they're loyal to Iran. And this is what we're facing right now. <clears throat> because one of United States foreign policy mistake, what they did, they ignored the Sunni side and they raised the Shia and Kurdish side. Gotcha. Okay. Shia, Shia side. Most of them, they fled from Iraq and they stay in Iran and Syria. Yes. Okay. Years and years and years and years. So those guys loyal to Wilayat al-Faqih, Ayatollah. So when they came to Iraq and run the government, they have no loyalty to Iraq. They loyal to Iran. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it makes sense. And for, for the civilians listening to understand, there are three major factions of religion in Iraq. The Kurds usually in the north, um, the Shias and, and the Sunnis, and the Shia and Sunni war has been going on for years, like for hundreds of years, correct? And so, uh, you know, the Shia, as you mentioned, they, they're also part of Iran, and the Sunni, which Saddam was Sunni, uh, they were kind of enemies, and so... What you're alluding to is that the fact that when the Iraq government came back in, they were all Shia and they were loyal to Iran and they actually almost took pleasure in getting rid of Saddam. Correct. And this is, let me correct one thing if you don't sure. mind. So it's not the three religions. The Kurdish, they are raised because they are Sunnis too. And gotcha. the minority of them, they are Shia, the Kurdish. Uh Religion between Sunnah and Shia at same religions, but it's politic politic agenda. Political, without right. the difference, mm-hmm. without the difference, uh, they will not rule us or reach to the power. And I'm gonna tell you something about the difference, if you don't mind, between the Sunnah and Shia, the way how I understand me and my family. No, go ahead. <laughs> so one time, with the, all the chaos in 2006. Sunni, Shia, killed in each other, chaos, blood everywhere. Went back to my home, and when I go for a vacation, don't think like I'm going to Las Vegas. No. I have to have three, four fake ID to pass different checkpoints, and they have to have my weapon with me ready to kill anyone to stop me and suspicious me. Before I reach to my house, I have to call my family to clear the route. It looks like we have intelligence operation. You know what I mean? Right. When I go inside my house, I stay in my house. I go nowhere. In my room with my weapon, my AK, my pistol, my grenade. So imagine the, 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 the environment. So anyway, one of the night, I uh, called my wife. I told her, please, can you uh, bring the kids? I need to talk to them. Everything okay? Tell yeah, yeah. So she brought, brought my kids, and I told them, hey, guys, I have a quick question, and I need honest answer. Yeah, of course, that. What's up? And I told them, who is going to be Sydney? Who's going to be Shia? They looked at me and kind of surprised, we, we, because we don't talk about Sunni and Shia. Right. And at the same time, I am Sunni. My wife is Shia. And... My oldest daughter, she asked me, Daddy, are you Sunna or Shia? I told him I'm Sunna. And how about mom? I told him Shia. All of them, they picked mom's side. <laughs> uh, so this is the difference for education, educated people. There is no difference. This looks like Protestant Catholic. Right, right. If you, if you believe about Jesus, this is your main uh, sources. You know what I mean? After that, everything is going to be political agenda. So this is where I'm going to when execute Saddam. When they kill him, they don't kill him because he's dictator. They don't kill him because he is 
pull Iraq down and destroyed it. They kill him because they want a revenge from him. They kill him because they are Shia, kill Sunnis. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Yep, I understand. It's not, yeah. it's not in the right way. I hope I answered your question. No, no, you did. I mean, there, there's a lot there, and I'm glad you unpacked it all because, uh, you know, full understanding of kind of how history unfolded and, and why it went the way it did. Okay, let's go back to when you first connect with the U.S. forces. Um, did you know what you wanted to do, or did you just kind of see as aligning with the U.S. forces at the time as a way to make a living? Was it a way to get out of Iraq? Like, what were you thinking? So at that time, I'm thinking, like, we're going to be like Germany and Chaban. Okay. Because this is what happened in Germany and Chaban after the United States took over, right? Mm-hmm. So this is my my things. But same same time, those people, American soldiers, represent my dream, and my dream is one meter from me. I want to be with my dream. You know what I mean? Right. And the third thing is finance, is money wise. Sure. I want to make I want to make some good money from Uncle Sam. I told you I'm making 20 to 40 bucks, long distance drive to make 20 to 40. And right now I can make a hundred easily in the month. Right. So this is three things pushed me so hard to find job. Like I told you, I couldn't succeed until one night drinking in my uncle's shop, got the plus him, he killed by ISS. Uh, we sitting, we drink cheap whiskey. And we chit chat and time to leave and start walking. I have 50 cents in my pocket. And I'm kind of wondering, keep the 50 cents to my kids when they go to the school or buy smoke or have a taxi because I live like seven miles from my uncle's shop. Okay. So while I'm having this kind of illusion argument with myself about the 50 cents, I hear three Iraqi ladies, they talk shit about American military police point. And the story behind that, the American military police kick out this family from government building because no one allowed to live in government building. And those uh, ladies kind of pissed off. And as you know, in American culture too, if honest lady they can be beat up by men. You have to stand up for them. You have to protect them. You know what I mean? Right. So this is where they put me in the spot. But the difference is, if I protect them, I'm going to lose my life. They're going to shoot me. They're going to kill me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The American forces, they're going to kill me. My dream, I will be end up killed by my dream. You know? So this is kind of funny chaos level. Like first, the 50 cent, second, now we're talking about losing my life. So I have an idea in that time. So it's like, I'm going to walk faster, go to the military police, start talk with them, explain to them with my humble language, if I have language at that time. And we will see what's going to happen. So I went, God bless him, Sergeant Bird. I saw him and I told him, sir, there is issue. Can I solve it? He says, yeah, of course. While those lady came to the white, uh, white light, and I saw them, I was like, oh, shit. Those women deserve no respect because they are thieves. They do all the bad things in the neighbor. No one trusts them. No one respects them. So it looked like I'm wasting my time thinking, sacrifice my life for them. And in the fact, they don't deserve it. And they know me very well. So when they came and they saw me, they thought I am a tub working with American forces. Oh, what are you doing? This and that. I told him, I'm doing nothing. All what do you need to do? Go back. And I don't want to see your face again. And as I told you, I'm kind of troubled kids. Mm-hmm. There's still this kind of personality with me. Tough guy, whatever, fight all the time. So anyway, so they know me very well. And they know when I said something, I mean it. So they left and the sergeant started thank me while I'm talking to him. One of those girls' boyfriend, he came and he started talking shit about me and my family. Like, you you guys, language, a trader, this and that, shame on you, told them. Right, because they thought you were an interpreter for the United States at this point. Yeah, I okay. told him, what are you talking about? He said, 
Yeah, you uh, you take the American side against your own people. Shame on you. Uh, you are lucky or not by yourself. I will be the shit out of you. It's like, okay, come over, buddy. So I went to him and I broke his noise, his jaw, bloody face. Sergeant uh, Bird, he says, after the separate house, hey, do you want to work with me? Fuck yeah. <laughs> of course, I would love to work with you. So this is my journey start with military police. Okay. I, I remember the first salary, 100 bucks. I took all my family to the market. Hey, buy whatever. It's a lot of money in that time. Right. So, sorry, go ahead. That's incredible. That's that's an incredible story. Okay. So you start becoming an interpreter for the United States. Um, what sort of early missions were you doing? So as I told you, I work with military police. <clears throat> and to match my dream, follow my dream, and also uh, finance things. Military police at that time, <coughs> they are in charge of Mosul Police Station. Right. Section of the Mosul, they in charge about it. So what we do, we go to the police station, training the IPs, Iraqi police, and see the admin, support them, all this kind of thing. Sure. So there is no there is no activity. Right. It's but just training. Guys, yeah. Training and there is nothing going on. And the guy, they start pushing me, hey, we, we need to have some action. We need to come. Okay. That's what he want? They said, yeah, okay. So I took him to the granary where people stealing ground, floor, and we surround them. And I remember when we stopped, we had to wait the helicopter. I was like, what the fuck? I'm not going to put him away. Those people, they cannot run away. So I run to them, me and one of the military police, and he have weapon, and I pretend they have weapon. And all the thieves, they run away. And what we did... They run away and they left the truck behind. We just like drove the truck and we pushed the gas. We jumped from the truck and damage destroyed the truck. Second mission, we took him to uh, in Mosul, in center of Mosul. There is all city. Barely you can walk by two person in that route. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So our mission to catch that guy who make trouble in the neighbor, <coughs> his name Rod. Uh, so the mission, the mission plan, American forces, they went to the house. Iraqi police, they went from the backside to surround him from uh, the house next door. And I am in charge of, about the police. Imagine I am interpreter, supposedly. They put me in charge and move the cops. So anyway, we went, we knocked the door for the neighbor behind the target or the jackpot house. And we told him, hey, we need to use your house. We want to go to the roof because the guy who's making trouble, we can capture today. And there's American forces there. And he started giving us excuses, this and that. So what I did, I pushed him and I started jump and I reached to the roof and I saw the, the guy because in summertime, most of uh, Muslim people, they uh, sleep at the roof because it's kind of cold, windy in summertime. Right. So I saw him there. And before I woke him up, I put my hand because I know we hide our weapons underneath our pillow. I put my hand underneath his pillow and I found pistol. I pulled the pistol. By the way, I have no weapon with me when I went all the way up. But like I told you that time. There's no killing. There is no violent. So anyway, at the same time, I pulled the pistol. I hear uh, gunshot, like fires. And I hear, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. I look at, I, I saw the American forces. They left. They don't know I am the roof because we don't have communication. And the Iraqi police, they left me too. Wow. So I end up with the guy on the roof, second floor, at the top of the roof. So I told him, hey, buddy, uh, we want to take you with us. There's a few questions we want to ask you on on Babish Deed Police Station. And he says, no, I'm not coming with you. I told him, no, you're coming with me. 
because I have the pistol, I have the power. If you don't come with me, I will shoot your legs. He says, no, 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 you cannot. This is against the law, this and that. And I'm kind of pushing the conversation for nothing. So I told him, okay, nothing personal. Come over, buddy. I bring him to the edge of the roof and I push him from there because I cannot leave him behind. Right. If I left him behind, maybe he will, I know for sure he have AK. He can pull the AK right. and he can chase me in his neighborhood. He know the alleys and probably he's going to kill me. Anyway, I went back and I saw all the guys, the military police, like they are standby. Where is Johnny? So I went and they said, what do you ask, motherfucker? I told him nothing. I just took care of my business. After three days, the guy came with a plastic pack in his stomach, broken arms, leg. And soon he saw me. He talked with the, the Iraqi colonial cops. And they talked with one of our sergeants. Soon he saw me, he started panic. This guy, he pushed me. This guy, he want to kill me. So this kind of activity we have with the military police, we don't have Mujahideen. We don't have Qaeda at that time. Right. So you're kind of, for lack of a better term, your aggressive nature and not being scared of, of what's going on certainly helped you with the Americans, correct? Correct. So after working with the military police, um, kind of what's next for you? How do you end up getting tied in with the Navy SEALs? So after I told you, we have a three, four big mission on Mosul level. And everyone hear about me. Crazy interpreter. <laughs> Sergeant East, he have some connection with the Navy SEAL. He recommend my name to them. And they said, okay. Uh, we're looking for local turf. Can you bring him in? Uh, so they give me time for interview. And I remember we want to special pace, separate pace than mm -hmm. the Americans. And I saw the people like have long beard, different <laughs> uniform. Yeah. Like, what the fuck I am end up with? <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's something you never see it in your life. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I talked with JT, God bless him, he passed away a month ago. Amazing patriot American. I talked with him, and as you know, brother, most of the Middle East people, when you talk with him and they have no language, it's going to wave his head, right? Right. So this is what I did with him all the time. 90% of his conversation, I just wave my head in positive way and small smile. And I'm thinking with myself, I'm embarrassing myself. This is bullshit. I have to stop this shit. So I told him, JT, uh, so I'm going to work with you or not? He said, indeed. So I shook his hand and I left. I have no idea what, what it indeed mean. <laughs> I, went, I went back to the military police and all of them, they're so exciting to hear the answer. Hey, tell us. Did you get the job? I told him, indeed. And I look at to all the faces. <laughs> Fuck you, Johnny. Awesome. <laughs> so I knew it. Indeed mean yes. So start work with the seal is different level. Yes. Indeed. Different, indeed, yes. <laughs> uh, different method, different belief, different things. So like I told you, American dream and finance, right? Mm -hmm. Now... It's still American dream, but a scary American dream. Who's those guys? I, I still remember I had back when I started work with SEAL. Uh, we don't have cell phone. We don't have computer. We have dictionary, book dictionary. Right. And I found it in our neighborhood, and I bust my ass to find what SEAL mean. And boom, SEAL is animal C. It's like, yes. <laughs> Yes, this seal is, and the animal in the sea, right? <laughs> yeah, it's making me more confused, you know? It's like, <laughs> if this is the right step, I'm going to do it to follow my dream and follow my destiny. And I'm kind of struggling with myself. <clears throat> Until one night, first mission with them, imagine the guy who scored me, he guide me with from my shoulder, stop, 
And he moved me like by body language to the left or right. right. Imagine how much my language is fucked up. So anyway, and I had to put American cami on me. And this is like a huge. Right. You put on American and, uh, camouflage, I, right? Yeah. And I have my body armor, helmet. So anyway, first mission we went. We saw beside the target. I went to the brief with them. But all what I understand is Abdullah, the jackpot name. Right. And because Abdullah is a common name in Iraq, I understand that. Another that I understand zero, nothing from all <laughs> the brief, almost like one hour. So anyway, we went to the target and you know how they fucking open the door. Yes. They put they put the breach. Yep. The charge on it and blow it. Yep, boom. I have no idea. I thought we are under attack. Someone attacked us with RBG. So it's like the movie Run Faster Run. Mm-hmm. Run Johnny Run. <clears throat> I start running, and the guy was in charge of me. Run behind me with all his gear and weapon. Motherfucker, you should fucking stop. I will fucking shoot you. Stop. <laughs> so I stopped. I told him, bro, we are under attack. What do you want me to do? He says, no, 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 no. Shut up, idiot. We opened the door. <laughs> what? Make no sense. So anyway, we went back. I went inside the house, and within... Two minutes, I found the jackpot. And they came to me and they said, no, 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 not this. I told them, no, this is the one you're looking for. His name, not Abdullah, but he is the one who is in charge about all the activity you guys have mentioned. We captured him, they questioned him on the base, and it's a proof what I said. So from that time, they started teaching me English language. Right. They they develop my language so they can, because in Target, as you know, Navy SEAL, they cannot spend more than 20 minutes or 15 minutes inside the Target. Sure. This is the maximum time. So if I'm kind of struggling to explain to them in the language with one, two, three minutes, I'm going to put life at risk. <clears throat> so they start giving me lesson every day, two hours. And mission after mission, it's kind of change. Not my belief, but I had better understanding to feed my belief. Like those guys, they came thousand miles in my city, Mosul, to clean my city from bad guys. And I am the okay. one who was born and raised in this city. I have no idea we have this kind of savages. And then I have a future vision after we catch those guys, question them see what kind of weapons they have. It's like, those people, they are not going to build my country. Right. Those people, they came to destroy my country because we saw nothing except destroyed device and tools. There is nothing to build. So, and at the same time, those Navy SEALs, they came, they have no problem with innocent people. They love innocent people, but they are badass mm-hmm. warrior against savages. Yes. So it looks like I move from level beginner basic to advanced level with Navy SEAL and it looks like good people against bad people with no nationality. You, you know what I mean? Sure, yeah, yeah. That's that's why some of the people that said, "Oh, you traitor, this and that." Okay, if you consider ISS, militia, Qaeda, your own people, yeah, I'm a traitor for you, and I will kill you if I can. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I am with the Iraqi innocent people, Iraqi people who's looking for freedom, who's looking for democracy, who looking to own tomorrow. And he have a plan with his family to have a trip, picnic trip. The things I didn't have it in my life when I'm young with my family, I want to give it to them. That's beautiful, man. So, so, I mean, it's great to hear you say it. Let me ask you this much, Johnny. You know, Please. with the missions that you went on with the U.S. forces versus the amount of danger you were in because you were connected with the Americans and working with them. Were you more scared with 
the American, were you more scared on missions with the Americans or were you more scared like when you went home to drop off money to your family or you took leave or whatever? So, well, I don't know about the scared. We are a human being. We're scared in a certain point. Right. But I know I'm going to die in my day. So I'm not arguing with that. But I'm just going to be careful. But my weakness is my family. Sure. You know what I mean? I can walk in the street right now and car accident, I will be killed. This is not in my hand, but I have to walk the street. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Same, thing, <coughs> same thing with the enemy. If I face anyone, like I told you, I received a threaded message. Anyone he tried to kill me, I'm not going to be scared. It's my day, my day. I will de- protect myself. I will fight. But whatever is going to happen, I will die. I'm supposed to be as a warrior if I consider myself a warrior. But our weakness is our family. This is where I cannot imagine if one of my kids should crash. Right. This is where it's going to destroy me. With the Navy SEAL on the mission, we have the most powerful forces on the world. So I never feel scared. And I learn a lot from them. I read a story that one time you were being followed while you were driving home uh, and, you know, the car ended up opening fire on you and, uh, you know, you had to take matters into your own hands. Can you can you tell me about that story? Yeah. So uh, I am going from my home to the base, mm-hmm. I think nine o'clock in the morning or 10 o'clock. And like I told you that time, 2004 ish, there is no violence in my city. There is no assassin. And this is a general idea, but because I work with the SEAL and I know what's going on, I know there is a lot of anti-activity undercover. And they they teach me, don't trust anyone. You have to clear your route. This is how you sit in your car. This is your weapon next to you all the time, safety, all this kind of thing. So anyway, I'm driving my car. And I saw a car behind me, red Opel, German car. And the driver, he had long beard. Long beard present Muslim imam. And in our culture, like a priest, most of the priests, they don't drive the car. There is someone drive to them, part of respect to them. Same thing to the imam. When I saw him, he's driving, it's kind of red flag. And I'm thinking to myself, he is following me or not? And I end up with... You know what? I'm going to consider he's follow me. If he's not, I'm not going to lose anything. And I put like plan within a few seconds. I'm going to tread, surprise him, take right. If he follow me, I'm going to surprise him again, push the gas. If he push the gas, the last surprise, I'm going to push the brake. So three different level of recon to see if, if he's going to prove he want to attack me. So I took right, he followed me. I pushed the gas, he pushed the gas. So he's followed me. I pushed the brake. And this is where he confused. And I saw the passenger, he's teenager, 18 years old. He pulled the pistol, nine millimeters, and he shot me around. And the round uh, went to the middle uh, between the two windows. At that time, I had AK-47 with 75 round magazine. I pull it. And they have to take right or left. They took left within 10 meters from me. And I saw point aim to the driver. I shot him. And uh, the car uh, had the curb to stop. And I saw the guy. He's kind of confused what he's doing. I went to him. And I saw his pistol like he want to point. Shot him. Shot the driver again. Threw my ID on the car. And people, they stopped gathering. And... They asked me what's going on. I told them those guys work with Americans and Allahu Akbar. So, oh, okay, run away before they catch you, this and that. So I run because that neighbor is kind of announced like supporting extremist thought. Right. And that's why I told him they work with Americans. So you lied to the public and you lied to the people and said, they work with the Americans, not me. They do. And it kind of gave you a little bit of security and safety. Honestly, I didn't lie. I just give them false hope that those guys, they win. 
and they killed a uh, guy who worked with Americans. Gotcha. So anyway, I head back to the base, and like after two hours, after I cleared my house, went back, called them, hey, if there is anything, nothing. My brother, he uh, he went to the roof with his AK. My another brother downstairs, we called cousin. Nothing going on in my house. I went to the base, and I remember Steve Hilly, officer. Uh, I saw him, and he said, Johnny, I have to talk with you. Tell him what's up. He says, bro, we just received until that there is like uh, uh interpreter killed. His name Riyad Khalif. Tell him, are you sure? He says, yeah. Tell him, I am Riyad Khalif. Well, <laughs> <laughs> this is what happened. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, brother, guess what? If we go to Disneyland, we have to uh, prepare to have all the pleasure, right? Mm-hmm. If we go to fucking Las Vegas, we have to have money and we have to prepare. We can lose money, right? Sure. If we go to the world looking for a freedom, the only price for a freedom is a blood and life. So I accept that fact. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I mean, did it get to a point where you felt like, you know, the job was too dangerous? Like, not to you per se, but I mean, to your family or, or to people around you. That if that if they discovered you were working with Americans, you were putting your family at risk. I agree, and this is where the second part of my life, who is my real hero, my wife, and what she did. So every two three weeks, Navy Seal they open uh, open budget to my family movement. So every two three weeks. <sighs> My wife, she moved from neighbor to neighbor. And oh, in, wow. in 2005, she went all the way with the kids to the small village in Syrian border. Because as you know, the Mujahideen, Qaeda, intelligent, they are from us. So you will never know who's watching you. So the best way for her, she had to change her location from time to time and end up in Syrian border and live in small village. After that, we she went to to live in tent on the desert. In 2006, she left Mosul and all the towns around Mosul and village, and she came to Baghdad. And in Baghdad, it's you know big ass city. No one know her, and we live in kind of. Uh, Good neighborhood, kind of rich neighborhood. Seals pay pay all the rent. And in 2006, seven until 2009, kind of my family they survive. And I'm, I make it shortcut. I wish one of the days you will call me and I will let you talk to my wife and she will tell you what she faced. Like one of the time there is checkpoint. And I told you she is Shia, I am Sunni. And the checkpoint, they are Qaeda. They kill everyone if he's just Shia. So imagine she is Johnny Walker's wife, the one who's destroyed half of Qaeda and Mosul. What they can happen? So for her, she forget her life. The only wish she have if she died before anything happened to the kids. So imagine a human being wish finish his life before he saw the love of her life in front of her torching or anything happened to her. Right. So she is the real hero. It's amazing. Um, and it's a testament to you both. I mean, I know you're putting her up on the... <coughs> On the pedestal, but obviously it was a, you know, for lack of a better term, it was a teamwork deal. You both did what was necessary to survive. And fortunately, you both have made it to the United States. And, uh, you know, you have the sanctuary, the sanctuary and security and the safety of uh, of the American borders, so to speak. Um, so tell the audience how you ended up with the name Johnny Walker, because I, I know that what they're all thinking, but and, and it's pretty <laughs> obvious. But how did you end up with that na- nickname? What do you think? 
Well, it's uh, you know, listen, it's it's a good whiskey, it's a good scotch. Uh, that that's how I, that's <laughs> it's pretty obvious. I just you know, who gave it to you? Who coined it? When did it happen? So in in Baghdad, so we moved from Mosul to Baghdad. Uh, I mean Navy Seal, and I moved with them. And in that time, every day at five o'clock, we have target meeting. We were there. <laughs> And if we have targets, which is every night mission, mm-hmm. they cannot tell us. And that day, there is just a storm. There is no way to have any mission. So right. it's like, sure. fuck yeah, party time. Because we never, like, slept at the night. You know, we sleep during the day, wake up, target meeting, take care of business, 9 o'clock, prepare for the mission. By 12 o'clock, we're heading to the targets. This is like daily business. And I remember one day I went to to the chief and I told him, hey, bro, I need only one night off. He says, yeah, of course. When our enemy take one night off, all of us, we will take it. Anything else, Johnny? <laughs> so no, thank you. Awesome. So anyway, so on that night, I head back to my place inside the base and I start drink make a barbecue, amazing life, and all my dream. I'm going to wake up in the morning, go to the child, uh, feel like regular, normal human being, you know? And nine-ish, and pass away. Almost the bottle is gone. <laughs> and I slept with the bottle on my arm. It was like my baby, you know? Uh-huh. And the team, they came 10 o'clock. Wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. Walker, 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 we have mission, mission. Fuck you. <laughs> I thought it was a dream. And I keep the slap, and they said, fuck. And they saw the bottle. They said, fuck it. Johnny Walker from now. There so you this go. This is how I get the name. Great stuff. Now, I can tell you from personal experience, you know, <laughs> I, I remember my interpreter incredibly well. He, he went by Bubba. I don't know why he picked Bubba, but he did. Um, and you know, he, he eventually left Iraq and he, he lives, uh, in Europe, but you know, I had such a great relationship, but he ended up being like my best friend because we were side by side every single day. Like I got up in the morning and the minute I got to the office, the first person I talked to was him. Um, just because he was always there and it was always his job to be right in my, my pocket the whole time. Um, and throughout the course of, you know, 15 month deployment, you know, I think he came in about month three or four, but we were that we were together for about, you know, 11 months or so. Uh, we just developed such a great bond. We had so many laughs and so many oh, jokes brother. and, you yeah. know, I mean, it, it's sweat, sweat, tears, blood, bond, all of it. I mean, blood, it, it, it's like. It, yeah. I can remember times we'd go out on missions and I would just like stay next to me. You don't go anywhere. You stay right next to me the whole time. Not because I needed an interpreter, but because I wanted to protect him, you know, cause he was, because he meant, he meant, yes. Yeah. And he meant that much to me. Um, what kind of bond did you have with the people that you work with? Who, who sticks out the most to you? I mean, most, if you look at the Navy SEAL, they never deal with immigrant things except Johnny Walker. And this is kind of goes beyond, beyond any case, any mission. So every team member in Navy SEAL became Johnny Walker case, his personal case. As I don't know if you know or not, I am the only civilian I can have a trident in my chest. Really? Uh, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, so, I mean, if you look at the Fox News, my interview, I have my trident in my chest, and this is my honor, and this is my fortune. So, anyway, go back to your question. But there is few people, like we are very close, Johnny Heil, Steve Wozowski, Tushin, Chris, um, several guys, we work together all the time. One of them, I have, I had a speech last night, uh, in San Diego with uh, Jason Tushin. And it's funny, I love one of uh, our mission story. If you don't mind, I'm going to tell you to share the audience this story. I love it. And it makes sense to me how you have to understand American culture. So in Fallujah, you know Fallujah. Yes. I'm not going to explain more, right? 
Mm-hmm. We have big mission. We chasing uh, Prince, group leader. And we are 12 MVs. I'm sitting at the backpack of the last Humvees because I never sit inside the Humvees. And the wisdom behind that, if there is gunfire or something, I would love to take one of my enemy with me before I leave this world. You know what I mean? Sure. And I cannot breathe. I cannot breathe inside the Humvee. I have to be outside. <coughs> so Tushin, he's Sergeant, uh, Senior Chief. And, you know, he's sitting the front trucks he moved from that truck and he said next to me what the fuck what are you doing here he said ah whatever i thought you need company so i said with you so we said and we have a black sheet shield you know what i'm talking about right right yeah the armor black shield and we just cover ourselves not to survive but if we have ids or something uh, our body pieces it's going to stay in the same spot. It's stupid thought at that time, but we did it. And before we move, he said, Johnny, don't let anything happen to me. It's like, what the fuck? Of course, brother, you don't need to tell me that. He said, no, 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 I mean it. I told him, yeah, I mean, you never asked me that before. How many missions we have? Bad missions? What's going on? Do you have anything I don't know? He says, no, 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 about Mary Jo, his wife. She called him and she told him, hey, something happened to you. I will kick your ass. No. <laughs> and it's like, you're fucking weird. <laughs> I didn't understand that mechanism at that time. Right. But when I moved to United States, now I know what does that mean exactly. Right. Uh, another one. <clears throat> uh Johnny Heil. Uh, Johnny Heil, he is the most honest guy in the world. He will never, ever tell you something he don't feel like. Right. One day he told me, me and him and John, uh, uh, Tush, we said, and he says, Johnny, thank God you're on our side. I don't know what we can do if you are in Qaeda. Punky. Punky, he is the most lethal sniper in the world. But he is so humble. If you talk with him, you will never find out who is he. Dorsey. Uh, Chris Good. Uh, Steve. Uh, Steve Hilly bunch of amazing Patriot warriors. And imagine all of them, <clears throat> Christian, Jewish, ethnics, and I am the only Muslim. I never ever hear from any one of them, oh, he is Muslim. Never ever. I have my own weapon, my own M4, I have my grenade, my pistol, my MP5, and they have the right to do whatever I think is right. But as you know, this is not came from nothing. I'm gonna tell you if you if you allow me one mission to let you know what kind of person I am and what kind of loyal I have. No, go ahead, please. So we have big mission, big operation in Hilla, south of Baghdad. Yep, Hilla, yeah. Yeah. And you know, they drop us in Hilo and we walk in the ass how many miles with all the gears and at that time we shared the mission with ranger and the ranger they lead the patrol mm-hmm. to the target <clears throat> and we reached to kind of highway and there's wide light so i went to the lead guy the navigate guy I told him bro don't cross the street let's broke the white light you know because we use the night vision sure yeah he says, no, 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 we don't need to. It's going to be quick. Tell him, we have to. He says, no, 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 trust me. We're good. You know, I'm not going to argue with him. Supposedly he know something. So anyway, one, two, three, four guys pass the, uh, the street, mm-hmm. and we receiving fires. 
So first thing I did, you know, find shield and start uh, shooting the white light. We succeed, and I start shoot the uh, the guys. Not shoot like everywhere. No, like when I saw the fire missile, I shoot that place. Right. And I have Turb with me, and the Turb he have no weapon for some reason. And he is American citizen. I am local. So anyway, we killed like three guys. I remember uh, Apache came, and I look at the uh, my night vision. It's kind of green, and I still small iPod I have. Listening to the red, uh, listening to Kenny Roger, got <laughs> the broads, and in another ear I have the radio headset. So anyway, it's like it's like American movie, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I opened the back to just to point where the guys. So anyway, we kill like at least three bad guys. We catch the jackpot, head back to the base, and the other kill, he went to the ranger, I think sergeant major, and he told him, I have concerns. Told him, what's up? He said, maybe those guys, they don't know who we are. And we killed them. Maybe they are innocent. And Johnny, he's not allowed uh, to shoot or do anything. So, this, you know, I have my reputation. They came to me and they said, Johnny, the Turb have concerns, this and that. We believe in you, but what's going on? I told them, hey, what I did, I did. If you concern about those fucking guys, which is I didn't kill them, but I opened the back too, and I started to just show them uh, we have fire back, and the Apache killed them because they hide behind walls. But if you concern about them, those guys innocent, guess what? They are innocent, and we kill them by mistake. They cannot go to the hazard, right? Right. If they are bad guys, and we kill them, we cannot go. They cannot go to the hell. So, what is your concern? And I told him, by the way, to the Turk, if you, you, I don't want to mention his name, if you are local and I know you, you are good people and you point your weapon to one of my brothers, trust me, I will have no than one second to shoot you. Are we clear with that? And I left him. So the point is, it's, it's my brother and my family. I don't play politic game. I don't play religious name. If anyone attack my family and my brother, no matter who is he, I will do whatever to stop his friend. Unreal. Uh, Johnny, I mean, it's uh, hearing the stories and what you went through and where you are today, it's, it, it's amazing that the path and the journey that you've taken and um, you certainly provide a lot of uh, humor into uh, some very serious situations, which, you know, again, I, I just think speaks from your experience and your outlook and, and everything else. But that said, I mean, I, I love talking to you. I certainly appreciate everything that you've done for our country. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're on our side. I'll say that much, brother. <laughs> Bro, it's worth it. Trust me. Like, like right now, I have four kids. Everyone he has his own American dream. My wife, she's in the college, and she drives her own car on the highway, and she has a future. Imagine if she is in Mosul. What is going to happen? Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Me, every day I wake up, open my house door. The first thing I said, thank God for what we have. Trust me, it's worth it. And this country is... I cannot compare this country with anything. There is no enough vocabulary to describe my feeling for this country. So, Again, the name of the book is Codename Johnny Walker. Uh, it's written by Johnny along with Jim D. Felice, and you guys can get it anywhere. But, uh, Johnny, again, I, I love talking to you, man. I'm, I'm so proud of you. I'm so happy that you're living out your dream in America the way you wanted to, and certainly uh, proud to be uh, a service member alongside of you. So, Johnny Walker, man, thanks for being part of the Hazard Ground. Thank you, brother, for having me, and good luck, brother. 
You've been listening to the Hazard Ground Podcast. Hosted by Mark Zeno and produced by Matt Pascarella. If you have an interesting story to tell and you'd like to be on the show, send us an email at hazardgroundpodcast at gmail.com. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Gym sessions and sweaty summer activities are back, which means more funky smells in your clothes because sweat leaves behind bacteria that causes those hard-to-remove odors. Clorox Fabric Sanitizer products are ready to zap the stink out of fabrics in your home by getting rid of 99.9% of odor-causing bacteria. Eliminate odors in every load or sanitize fabrics between washes with one of our Fabric Sanitizer products. Search Fabric Sanitizer at Clorox.com to learn more. When it counts, trust Clorox. Use as directed. Okay, here are reasons to try a Nest mattress. One, they have a mattress for every kind of sleeper. Two, Nest offers free exchanges within a 100-night trial. And three, save hundreds on everything bedroom-related, now through the summer at nestbedding.com.